Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Hello. I'm sorry I'm eating Hello. right now. <laughs> That's okay. I have my coffee I need to drink anyway. Corey just brought me a caramel latte and a little stroop waffle. Mm. I don't know if you have ever had stroop waffles. They have them on uh, United Flights now, which I've I really seen them love. At Starbucks. Yeah. So what you're supposed to do oh, really? That's fun. is like put them on top of your mug and the heat from the coffee or whatever tea is like melts the caramel and so that's how you're supposed to eat them oh look at Corey being a little fancy fans for you this morning he always that boy i mean so this house came with a little (laughs) bar right and so he has transformed Mm -hmm. that entire space into like a coffee bar like cocktail bar like any kind of drink that you could possibly want he will make for you and he wants to make it for you (laughs) oh all right so i'm coming to visit asap then yeah no he will will make you like any coffee drink you want latte you know like an espresso drink um even started to make like iced coffee kinds of drinks and like frappuccinos and like shit like that so um yeah um it's kind of annoying because it takes up so much space but at the so same time, fun well yeah it's like I benefit from it so I can just be but like hey let me <laughs> let me put in an order you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I'll go make it it's great um so you guys should get one of those little dinging bells for like the bar top so you mm-hmm. just walk up ding it like hey <laughs> You're like, hey, stop playing your game. Come make me a drink. <laughs> oh, no. I just lost my waffle. Did it just break? It just fell into Aww. the mug. So let me I eat pee. this real quick and real annoying. It's fine. <laughs> I know some people really hate, like, um, eating noises. So Sounds of food. Yeah. So let me... Uh, I'm one of those people. <laughs> Yeah, I am too, actually. So I'm trying to be really sensitive. There's this commercial right now on Spotify where they like chew and it's like the biggest like chip crunch right in your fucking ear. Every time I hear it, I literally want to scream. Which one? Um, it's a podcast called Morbid. Oh, yeah, it's that one. I, I listened to that one. I know. I feel like that's the podcast I'm trying to model ours after because... I'm Elena 
and you're definitely um ash (laughs) cool 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 cool. yeah no it's true i can dig it i can see it because i'm like the crazy researcher and you're like along for the ride but like genuinely interested but still very much along for the ride (laughs) yeah i'm buckled up yeah ready to go ready to listen to me tell you awful awful things and then i'll just let you sit in that you know later <laughs> it's like how I texted you when I was flying home and I was like, you know, all these plane crash stories uh, are not doing me well right now. Well, so I didn't anticipate that like, oh, you're flying to Alaska. I wasn't like making that connection. <laughs> I wasn't either until I was in it. I was like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> I was like, I got my beef jerky. Yeah. Plus I like That's scheduled I in here. I scheduled out like the episodes like way in advance. So how was I supposed to know you were going to fly to Alaska? <laughs> I know. Well, also like this flight home was like a last minute, like family yeah. emergency flight home. So that wasn't planned yeah. either. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. So I actually found this really interesting little story before we start our main story. And it's because I'm on TikTok and I am obsessed with TikTok like in a big annoying way (laughs) it's it's disgusting how many hours I spend on Instagram reels just going through watching all these reels yeah like time really gets away from me yes shit yes (laughs) go do Um, something productive so I was uh scrolling through all of a sudden saw this woman in what looks like a like skin colored like luchador mask or dare I say it gimp mask but basically covering everything but her eyes her nose and her mouth and I was like what the fuck and it's this woman who survived a relatively recent volcanic eruption that I had never heard of and I'm like why haven't I heard of this and so she's now a burn survivor and that mask and she has other pieces as well, are like compression uh, clothing, basically, because she's got burns on like, I don't know, 70, 90, something like that percent of her body. And so she's wearing it to oh, help with like blood flow, blood concern. She won't have to wear it forever, but she will have to wear it for a year or two. And so her whole account right, is like about, the healing process. Yeah. And her whole account is about like, living with this and dealing with this and sometimes she does makeup tutorials sometimes she just shows you you know how she deals with everything Um, but then I was scrolling down and she does offer a few snippets about what actually happened um, to her and so I was like okay let me dive into this the reason she doesn't share a whole lot about the actual accident is because um, they're in a civil lawsuit with the tourism company that brought them there in the first place because they were tourists yeah so they're trying to keep a lot of information close to the chest so I was like okay let me do my own research on this so this happened um on December 9th of uh 2019 so like really recent but I feel like it wasn't really in the news because COVID happened a few months after yeah and so either we all collectively got yeah we all collectively forgot or like so basically this uh stratovolcano in new zealand 
it's a it's a its own little island um erupted and 47 people were on the island at the time as tourists um basically like as cruise tourists it was like an activity that they could go do and supposedly either the tourism company the cruise ship didn't either didn't know about the seismic activity or did know and let them go anyway so that's god that's what the whole civil lawsuit is about and so yeah i would hope that it was an honest accident and not like a purposeful oh we heard that the seismic activity was shit but we went anyway right right just you know to get the money um but so 47 people were on the island 22 people died either from the explosion or from like the injuries afterwards um and then they also never found two of those bodies and they were later declared dead so either they got completely buried or oh my god they probably disintegrated yeah yeah, kind of like um, Galeris. Yeah. And we talked about that one. A further 25 people suffered injuries, um, with the majority needing intensive care for severe burns. And then ongoing seismic and volcanic activity in the area, um, as well as rainfall, low visibility, and toxic gases hampered recovery, acts, or recovery efforts in the weeks following the accident. So this girl on TikTok is a survivor of this incident and she was laying on the island for like, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half before she was rescued, just laying there. Oh my God. After the eruption. And she actually has footage of her running from the eruption and it is terrifying so How'd she get that footage like who was taking that video her on her phone she had her phone she was filming oh. and then all of a sudden oh i erupts. thought you meant like she i thought you meant that like she has footage of like her like so, like no. other person like no no, no. it's her, her running. running yep first person point of view yeah, 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 yeah got yeah, it yeah, got yeah. it got yeah. it got and it it is so scary but what's, what's worse is that her dad and her sister were on the island with her and they both died oh no her sister died immediately. Her dad died um, in the hospital several days later from his injuries. So it's just like this. Oh my God, that's so sad. And I, you know, at first I was like, okay, what is this? This is what's going on. And then I was like starting to relate to her and kind of her experiences about going through something so traumatic like that, because that's something that um, kind of happened in my family and it's one of those things when you don't mm. know what it's going to be like until you go through it and I think people have like extreme traumatic you know quote-unquote coincidental accidents have to go through and so it's kind of like a weird cathartic thing even though obviously the injury is completely different situation completely different but it was just kind of a weird cathartic thing for me but anyway, I'm going to like keep following this story. I know a lot of details will probably come out later after, you know, the trials and stuff. Yeah, her name on TikTok is Stephanie Coral 96 and her full name is Stephanie Coral Browit. Um so please go follow her. It's really interesting. Um even if you're uncomfortable with, you know, burn survivors and stuff, she really 
makes it very approachable because it is a little scary, you know. I just I just opened TikTok to like look it up and my volume was so loud. Sorry, one <laughs> second. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, okay. Volume's down. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, check that out later. Maybe what's your name? How do you spell it? Uh <laughs> Stephanie Coral Browitz. So it's Stephanie with an I E Coral 96. Pops up. Yep, see her. I see her. Okay, I see what you mean with the face mask thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So she's really interesting, really good for people who have dealt with trauma. And, you know, I don't often think about it, but um, ultimately we are survivors of a traumatic incident with nature as well. And um, so there's kind of like this, I feel like this kind of kindred you know, spirit with her, um, because Mm -hmm. of the accident my dad went through, um, in 2015, he, uh, got in a mountain biking accident, flipped over his bike, uh, landed on a rock and it bruised his spinal cord. And so now he's a quadriplegic. So that's something I deal with a lot. One of these days, maybe he will tell his story on the podcast Mm -hmm. or maybe he'll ask me to, um, but not yet. <laughs> still, still, you know, going through stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, that's white, fine. That's white mountain or white island eruption or Wakari <laughs> is the Maori name for this volcano, Wakari. Okay. All right. So let's, let's get into this topic that I'm very excited to talk about <laughs> because I'm Working. morbid as hell. So This is something that I have slowly been gathering information about since I've moved down here to Texas because this incident happened about two hours away from my house where I currently live right now. Cool. Yes. (laughs) It is also the highest, the cause of the highest amount of American deaths in one day in the nation's history. Oh, wow. Yeah. Single day deaths. It has the highest death count this event. I, uh, I'm going to look it up while you talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. So basically I kind of found that out because of COVID because that people kept putting out like the 10 biggest single, you know, cases of American death. And so they'd have like Antietam and D-Day and like all the things that you would expect. Then there were three days of COVID this year that had ridiculous amounts of you know, deaths during that single day. So there's three days of COVID. This event had them beat by 6,000 deaths, 6,000 still. It was still at the top of the list by a lot. And a lot of people have died during this pandemic, especially in like January. Yeah. And I'm looking at, yeah. And I'm looking at the damage uh, cost and back in that time it was 35.4 million which is a lot 1.097 billion in today's Ooh. currency oh yeah it which basically, is a lot of money yes yes it basically changed the course of texas history as we know it okay so today we're going to be talking about the great storm of 1900 because it's hurricane season baby yeah is and we're not going to get out of it for another couple of months either no but this is about usually when uh hurricane season hits its peak in the gulf of mexico so um 
So like I said, the story describes the U.S.'s worst natural disaster to date. It produced the highest mortality count of any natural phenomenon ever experienced in the written history of this country, as well as any non-natural phenomenon like war and I guess COVID. I don't know. It's natural, but it's not. You know what I mean? Um, And like I said, happened just two hours away from where my house currently sits along the Texas Gulf Coast a little over a century ago. This all takes place in the town of Galveston, Texas, which I love Galveston personally. I know a lot of people in Texas don't, but I am not a Texan. And so I love it because it's like this sweet little seaside town. It's got kind of some New Orleans charm, you know, without like the bourbon street vomit. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Without like the pee smell, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It just doesn't smell like trash, vomit, and piss everywhere in the morning. Yeah. So Corey and I actually go quite a lot on like little weekend trips because it's really not that far. Um, we bring Marzi. It's a great time. There's beach. There's like a whole historic district. There's really great food. You know, a lot of good seafood, Cajun food, Creole food, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Mexican food. You can get anything there. So it's, it's really neat. Um, um, so it's a small seaside t- town situated on a barrier island, Galveston Island. Um, Being from Virginia, we know quite a lot about barrier islands as we go to the Outer Banks all the time. There's no Mm -hmm. elevation on those islands. (laughs) No, They're flat. Not Um, at all. And if a hurricane hits them head on, they might get like ripped in half. You know, that's happened before. Yeah. And like in the Outer Banks, like down near like, what is it? like kitty hawk i want to say or like south of corolla and all that and duck and all that Mm -hmm. um when like heavy rains come through and like low-grade tropical storms come through the road on the first what is it like the first row of houses along the beach like that floods and then like all the sand uh filters over and like the dunes Oh my God. Can we talk about the dunes real quick? Because like mm-hmm. dunes have an environmental reason. Dunes mm-hmm. are there to protect from storm surge. Mm-hmm. And so like when you climb on the dunes and you degrade the dunes, it's not the greatest long term for safety. Yes. So dunes are there to protect you. Mm-hmm. And so also when storms come through, uh, the heavy winds and everything also degrade the dunes because it blows all the sand around. So yeah. Um, so yeah, even like on a heavy storm in the Outer Banks, like things flood and get ruined. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine what a hurricane would do nowadays up there. Well, yeah. And uh, uh, I remember a couple of years back, there was a hurricane. It might have been Sandy. I'm not sure that cut through and like basically formed a new island. There's a new channel that cut th- got cut through mm-hmm. and they had to like build mm-hmm. a bridge and all that shit. Um, and the Outer Banks. And so that's why we really shouldn't develop on barrier islands. And most of Texas doesn't. There's only a few places where cities or towns are built on the barrier islands. It's usually for like vacation purposes, but it's not like the Outer Banks where there's literally houses upon houses upon houses, like all the way down. Mm -hmm. Um, But Galveston is one of those areas where they decided to build. So like you said, barrier islands are There are a little more than sandbars with some limited vegetation, usually with marshes on the backside. 
um, and they form as uh, sand deposited along a coastline. They're usually several miles off the coast of like a mainland, have a protected side, which is like a bay or sound in between the barrier island and the coast. And then a side that is open just to the open ocean, or in this case, Gulf of Mexico, that is often battered by storms and waves. They serve as a vital habitat for salt marsh communities and juvenile fish nursery grounds along their protected side. They also serve as vital seabird nesting habitat um, in the dunes. And most importantly, though, they protect ecological and human communities on the coastline from storm surge or floodwaters that these major storms can bring. So they're super duper important and we just fucking build on them. So <laughs> it's like, drives me nuts. Um, so naturally you shouldn't want to build a community on one of these islands since these islands bear the brunt of a storm's damage. Um, but naturally mm-hmm. being Americans, we said, fuck it and built out there anyway. <laughs> so... <laughs> Good job, guys. We did it. Um, So modern Galveston is not a large city by any means. Um, It serves as the gateway to the port of Houston and Galveston Bay um, and serves as a tourist attraction for locals, including me. Um, In the 1900s, however, Galveston was poised to become Texas's major city on the coast. Like this was supposed to be Houston was Galveston originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so mostly because of its warm weather, its position as a deep water port along the Gulf coast, which there's not that many of them. The only other one was new Orleans at the time. Um, it was also the gateway to the vast interior of the North American continent at the time. And many immigrants called Galveston the Ellis Island of the South. Um, And many preferred entering the country in the warm, balmy weather before making their way to the Great Plains instead of coming through New York, you know, where it can get very, very cold (laughs) and harsh to live in. So So at the time in 1900, Galveston was like a downright cosmopolitan town, like with electricity and streetcars and fancy French chefs and fine restaurants. It was like poised to become like a New Orleans, a Houston, you know, a big major Yeah, city. it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, so it was, however, in competition with many other ports along the Texas coast, including Indianola, which is about 45 minutes from my house on the same bay that I live on. Um, Indianola, however, was taken out of the running because two massive hurricanes made landfall near the town, nearly wiping it out. Um, Now, and I've been there for work, uh, it's just a collection of beach houses, a small boat ramp, a a bait shop, and a small restaurant. Um, It's one of the boat ramps I regularly launch from for my research, so I'm there all the time. It's literally nothing. It's (laughs) no one living there. Um, So that kind of narrowed down the race to Galveston, in Houston. And so I was like, okay, which one's going to be the winner of this race to the top? So the whole Indianola thing is just a sign of things to come. So get ready, everybody. Mm-hmm. The night of September 7th, 1900 in Galveston was a balmy night with the sea breeze rising up off the ocean. 
There was no sign that a storm was heading directly toward the little island. And the individuals whose job it was to warn the populace of any coming weather were not concerned, even though the few reports they had received indicated a storm was brewing in the Gulf. You know, you're ready. (laughs) So temperatures had been climbing in the Gulf Coast city for a week nearing 90 degrees Celsius, or not Celsius, holy shit, they would be dead, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) And the humidity, as usual, was miserable. It's awful. It's just gross all the time. Um, Mm. A heat wave in the north had killed three people, and the summer temperatures were only climbing. The barometers on the roof of the levee building, which were the headquarters of the Galveston Weather Bureau, had only shown a slight decrease in pressure and the anemometer, anemometer, anemone, anemone, the wind. Like I would not be able to pronounce that either. So machine that tells you how fast the wind is going. was only showing winds at 19 miles an hour at most, which is pretty usual for this area of the coast. Um, Isaac Klein was the head of the Weather Bureau's Texas forecasters, and he had been monitoring the situation throughout the day. So if you look at our little pictures, I should have started this earlier, but we're going to do it right now. So on the first slide, um, we have kind of a map of modern day Galveston Island, um, everything, all those highways leading north are just leading into Houston, basically. Um, and then mm-hmm. I gave you a little snapshot of what it looks like today with our, you know, famous little pleasure little pier. pier. Oh my God. <laughs> Cute. Wait, I had uh, no idea that was there. <laughs> very like Coney Island. Up there. Yeah. But yes. You, you can definitely see. Corn dog. Yes. Get that corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely cake. see. So there's a beach on the Gulf side. And if you look a little further in the background, there's Galveston Bay behind. Um, so it's just a very narrow strip yeah, of yeah. an island. Um, and we'll put these pictures online for everybody. Barrier Island. Yeah, Barrier Island. So if you look at slide two, you'll see a picture of uh, Isaac Klein, who's a, I'll say, fairly handsome mustachioed man. We'll give him that. <laughs> Got a nice hair part. Yeah, you know. I don't know. The whiskers are a bit long for me and I don't do mustaches anyway because my dad has a mustache. So if I dated anybody with a mustache, just a mustache, it'd be weird. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he's handsome. I'd trim that up a bit. Yeah. He's, he's handsome for like 1900s time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's our, the main person we're going to kind of be talking about in this story. So cool. Isaac Klein Um, had been receiving cables from the Bureau's central office in Washington, D.C., describing a tropical storm that had gone over Cuba. Because there was no real way for forecasters to predict the path of the storm during the time, Isaac was unsure of the storm's true course because it's 1900s, we don't got satellites, we don't got like weather modeling, none of that. So it's kind of like, I'll figure it out based Mm -hmm. on the pressure falling and, you know, hopefully you'll have enough time to evacuate. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. So hopefully, yeah. Right. So to make matters worse, the Bureau did not think that the storm was much to worry about 
even though Cuban weather observers were very concerned. Um, the Cuban weather observers basically pioneered the science behind hurricane detection and were very knowledgeable about hurricane forecasting for weathermen at this time because it, you know, their lives depended on it, basically. Um, however, mm-hmm. due in part to the U.S. Weather Bureau's opinion of its own superiority and a little bit of butthurt from the Spanish-American War, which took place in Cuba, sprinkled with a heavy dose of good old-fashioned racism, they did not think that the Cuban forecasting was accurate, but it fucking was. <laughs> so, golly. Yeah. So how many of these stories we talk about are like, oh, this would have gone better if they weren't so damn racist. <laughs> I feel like, yes. I feel like this happens it's a like lot. Ignorant too. Like, yeah. can we just believe people like when they say something like believe nope. the experts on their uh, expertise? Maybe. I don't know. Nah. Yeah, don't don't even don't why why just why? So back to our friend Isaac. Uh, he lived in a house on Avenue Q, uh, just four blocks away from the beach. I've actually stayed on a house on Avenue Q, um, and this house was facing the open waters of the Gulf. The morning of the eighth, he took his horse-drawn buggy out to the beach. It was a lovely uh, morning with fluffy clouds in the sky. There were signs of the oncoming storm, a storm that Isaac thought at the time was still a tropical storm because he was, you know, using data that was getting sent to him from Washington, D.C. So the waves were Mm -hmm. carrying a dense mist into the city and the waves themselves bore the signs of things to come. The swells of the waves were coming in very slowly with one to five minutes in between crests. Um, We know this is a sign of the intense tides pushed by the intensity of the storm. So the longer the wave is, the more water that is being moved. And the, the, you know, Mm -hmm. longer it is, the more wave or uh, wind intensity it takes to move like that much Mm -hmm. water that slowly. So that's actually a sign which I didn't know. So now I know. Um, so for those of you big storm who, coming big waves, big waves. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, uh, hurricanes are cyclone shaped, extreme low pressure systems in order to form. Most hurricanes require water temperatures of at least 79.7 degrees Fahrenheit. And these temperatures need to extend at least, uh, 50 meters deep into the ocean. Um, So we have to have really warm water and it has to be really deep. High humidity is needed as well for moisture to form disturbances in the atmosphere. Uh, Wind shear and wind direction from the Coriolis effect are also needed in order for a disturbance to form. So these uh, storms don't form simultaneously and need all of these favorable conditions to form. And the Gulf of Mexico just happens to be like the perfect place for it to happen because <laughs> we have these conditions pretty regularly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so September of uh, 1900 was prime for all these conditions. And September is the peak time for hurricane formation in the Gulf of Mexico. So I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> well, we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, 
So the main structure of these storms involves a very large wind field that rotates around the eye. Uh, the outer edge of the storm may be almost calm, but as the storm moves closer, the winds become more intense with the most intense winds circling the eye wall. Large rain bands also form underneath the rotating cirrus clouds, bringing uh, ammunition to the flood on the coast. Um, the eye of the storm itself is typically 19 to 40 miles in width. So it can be really, really big. Um, and it is indeed yeah. calm, but like only in the center of the storm. And the danger is far from the over. Eye. Yeah, because as soon as the eye passes, mm -hmm. then you get some of the most intense conditions as it's a big circle. So that's mm -hmm. how, that's a hurricane. Um, I'm sure you learned about it in school, but, you know, a little refresher for everybody listening. <laughs> yes. Um, so the most dangerous effect of a hurricane and the symptom that causes 90% of all deaths is the storm surge. It is aggressive. It is decimating. It is why Katrina was so freaking bad. Basically, this is a flood of water that is pushed outward by the low pressure and extreme winds and can range anywhere from one to two feet of flooding to 44 feet of flooding. So the greatest, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Three, four so, feet of I, I keep saying like, oh, my like. house, my house will be fine in most hurricanes. You know, we're about 20 feet off the water. Okay. If we get hit by a five though, a house is gone. It's gone. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I hope you have renter's insurance. <laughs> Do you hate me right now? <laughs> No, I'm like listening to you tell a story and I'm also like on um, Google Maps right now, like doing the the person feature. So I'm like walking around Galveston virtually while you're because yes. <laughs> I'm like, I want to see what it all looks like. I'm yeah. like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's a so I'm getting, I'm getting a real good feel for this. <laughs> yes, good, good. So the greatest storm surge ever measured in the U.S. was caused by Hurricane Katrina in 2005. It was about 28 mm -hmm. feet in height. And mind you, storm surge isn't just from water level to whatever height. They measure it from the height of water above the normal high tide. So we're already at high tide and then pack on 28 feet to that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. So good stuff. Um, so in these low coastal yeah. regions, the surge can push inland for miles, destroying everything in its path. And if a storm surge can devastate modern infrastructure, you can bet your ass that it can destroy 1900s architecture because it's like all wood and stone. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. 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 A lot of those houses in Galveston are like historic uh, wooden, like um, Victorian-esque, almost plantation kind of houses. So that's kind of the architecture that was there at the time. Although some buildings were made of stone. So Isaac, despite the confusion from the U.S. Weather Bureau, was able to read the signs from the long crested waves that morning. He knew then there was a huge storm upon them. He immediately sent a telegraph to headquarters, sounded the storm alarm, urging people to evacuate the neighborhoods adjacent to the beach. 
it is likely that he saved 6,000 lives from his quick decision-making. However, yeah. yes. So which could have, this could have been worse <laughs> than it was. Um, Jesus. Yeah. However, many people due to the weather bureau's mixed warnings decided that the storm would not be a significant and many knew that Galveston had weathered flooded floods before and were not that concerned. Um, this is true. The curbs on the Strand, which is the historic part of Galveston, are ridiculously tall. Like they are several feet, these curbs that to get on the sidewalk. I have rammed my car door into yeah. quite a few of them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always <laughs> I have. <laughs> So they made it very tall to kind of withstand the flooding in that region. Um, so yeah, if you're walking around, you should go check out the Strand because it's like my favorite part of town. Um, so a majority of Galvestonians decided to stay as the rain, rain began to fall and the tide began to come in. Children played joyfully in the flooded streets and people began crowding the beaches, watching the massive waves rolled in, describing them as grand and beautiful. That's not that's not what you do that's not what you do that's not what you do at all (laughs) so we've had a long history of completely ignoring science (laughs) this isn't a new thing (laughs) oh my god (laughs) just like anxiety thinking about this like kids playing in the street flooded and like storm drains sucking them down like Ugh. and then yeah. like people on the beach is like oh these big waves and like <laughs> god you can't outrun a big wave guys like no it'll outrun it once it gets you it sucks you right back out to sea and then what are you yeah do? like you're a goner <laughs> yep Eek. yeah yeah no thank you yep so the gulf began to seep into the city bringing debris with it Throughout the day, men carried on, children screamed with laughter, and only the women began to worry as the water rose up above the streets. As per usual, (laughs) it's always the women that are like, should we be doing this? Is this a good idea? That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Your motherly instinct is telling them something. Or maybe the fact that we're just, you know, more aware of preserving life our own lives our children's lives our family's lives i don't know (laughs) yeah so so by noon the city was halfway underwater and the inundation from the gulf was now threatening to connect with the flooding coming in from the other side on the bay um isaac began wading home from the levee building through waist-high water that was rapidly rising Although he had told the residents near the beach to evacuate, he planned on staying home and weathering the storm because his house, in his opinion, was large and sturdy and it was unlikely, maybe impossible, that it would wash away. So, all right. Yeah. Furthermore, it was two-storied, so the risk of drowning, in his opinion, was also considered minimal. Along his route home, he saw a few of his neighbors And those in these large and sturdy houses, um, he told them to also stay put, thinking that their families would be safer in these houses than anywhere else. And honestly, at this point, I'm like, I kind of see where he was coming from, because like if it was flooded that much, 
you're not, how are you going to evacuate in 1900s time? It's not like you can just like hop in your car and go over the bridge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You like when it floods back then, like you're kind of a sitting duck. I feel like it's like, if you wanted to get out of that city, you should have done it the minute he was like, Hey, there's going to be a storm. You're like hopped on a boat and got out of there. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, even if there were cars, you probably wouldn't be able to take your car out anyways. I don't think there were cars at that point because I think they were invented that decade, but like later, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. Don't come at me. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know when cars were invented. I was just saying, like, I was thinking about it from like a Keith's point of view, like even like, like we have cars obviously now. Mm -hmm. And if things were to flood, like you probably wouldn't be able to get your car across it. Some stuff maybe. Right. Well, they had trains coming into the city because it was like, you know, large port, but the flooding was affecting the trains as well. And so they couldn't get in to the city. Yeah. So, so I I get why he said that, but it's like, God, I wish they could have known and evacuated so much sooner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good stuff. Um, So by the time Isaac had reached his house that evening, the water had become neck deep in some areas. Um, He found his wife and family sheltering almost 50 people from the neighborhood within the walls of his house, including the family of the contractor who had built the house in the first place. So people were starting to like flock to these large two-story houses um, because they were worried about drowning. So then he had a fuck ton of people in his house. Yeah. So a little after five, the wind destroyed the levee building's anemometer. Wind, telly, how fast he going machine. (laughs) 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 And destroyed it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. Okay. So uh, too strong. Yeah, it's like how strong is the wind? Very strong. (laughs) So the instrument's last measurement was 100 miles an hour. Um, To put this in perspective, a Category 1 hurricane is 74 to 95 miles per hour. A Cat 2 is 96 to 110. So the strength of this hurricane was already at a Cat 2, and it hadn't even made, it wasn't close yet. So, yeah. Eek. So a cat three is 111 to 129 miles per hour. And a cat four is 130 to 156 miles per hour. A category five, which is the same category level as hurricane Katrina was uh, 157 miles per hour or higher. Um, Cat three to four are considered major hurricanes. So we're already at a cat two. We're doing Mm -hmm. good. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that the sun was setting, the city became extremely dark. The newfangled electricity that Galveston ran on was completely out almost everywhere. And there was no way to send telegraphs to the mainland as telegraph poles now floated down the city streets. So there's no communication at all. The city streets were now full of all kinds of debris unknown to most of the residents um, holding out in their houses there were now corpses floating down the streets as well of drowning victims. Mm. Mm. Gross. (laughs) It's gonna get, that's nasty. Gonna get worse. Um, 
<laughs> the story is like, <laughs> you're like, how did this happen? Okay. So in Isaac's home, water now covered the first floor eight inches deep. So it's almost a foot on his first floor, which was already raised because most of the mm-hmm. houses are on stilts there. Um, Isaac mm-hmm. took a look at the scene out his front door where there was one streets and houses. There was now open water with floating telegraph poles and the occasional first story roof peeking up above the sea. The sea was strangely flat, which was not good. Uh, no, that's not good. So that's no bueno. Why is that not good though? So behind Isaac's house, beyond what he could see, there was a wave of wreckage, three stories tall and several miles long, making its way across the island toward where Isaac, his family, and 50 of his neighbors now sat, thinking that they were protected. The wall of wreckage was Mm. literally made up of broken houses, roofs, large sections of the Galveston streetcar trestle, wagons, and any other man-made debris that got caught up in the initial storm surge. So it's literally just like a wall of crap, like the size of a building. It's coming right towards them. And there's no way to get around it. Like you can't Uh, just avoid it. You're impending doom. Yeah. So basically this whole wall of wreckage was able to break down any building in its way and was just adding to it as it pushed along through the city. Mm -hmm. The wall also contained corpses, bodies, hundreds upon hundreds of bodies of those who tried to shelter in those now destroyed houses. They had now become a part of Galveston's destruction. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hurricane season, everybody. Sad. Woohoo. Yeah. This, this is, is making a- me remind myself that I need to go get my uh, hurricane reentry pass when I get back to the Keys. <laughs> yeah, please do. Don't need to do that. I mean, September is emergency pre- preparedness month. So maybe when I go to the grocery yeah, store today, I'm going to get some emergency water because we use the last of ours during the freeze. I need to get more. Yeah. So. Yeah. There is a, I'm going to side note real quick. Yeah, there is this um, company that I have signed up for like their notifications. They're called Judy, but I want to say it's like ready, set, Judy, Judy Judy.co. And it's like an emergency preparedness company. And like you put in, um, I think there's a way you can put in like your zip code or like your region Mm -hmm. and it auto generates what type of like natural disasters can occur in your area. And they send you text updates of like, um, like for hurricane season, I got a text update like, Oh, it's hurricane season in Mm -hmm. your area. Start preparing. And like, they have all of these bundles you can shop that Mm -hmm. are like emergency preparedness bundles. And they have like all of your equipment in there that you need. So, um, I use them for some hot tips and as a resource for emergency preparedness. So there you go. That's good. They didn't have that back then, but we have it now and we should use. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. Then do this. So back to the wall, wall of wreckage. This wall was what was making the sea appear to be calm because it was stopping most of the breakers from entering the city. But at the same time, the breakers in the surge was pushing it 
ever onwards towards Isaac, Isaac's residence. So Isaac didn't notice the wall of wreckage. However, he did notice um, the moment the storm surge entered the city, raising the water level by four feet in a few seconds. Everyone in the house rushed up to the second floor, but those in single story houses had nowhere to go. Isaac and his brother, Joseph, ushered everyone into a bedroom on the windward side of the house, thinking that if the house fell over, they would be on top of the house, not crushed underneath. So little bit of smart thinking there. Isaac now estimated Mm -hmm. from the second floor that the tide, which was continuing to rise, was now 15.2 feet deep. But Isaac, oh God. Also, how did he get the point to? That's what I want to know. Was he like down there with a meter stick? Like, it's it's (laughs) 15.2. I wonder, well, I wonder if he knew like the height of certain things around them and was like, oh, that's, yeah, like so tall and it's covering that. It's got to be at least, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, it always cracks me up though when they have the point something. I'm like, unless it's a point five, like I'm like, is it legit? Because you're just guessing. <laughs> like, where'd the yeah. point two come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so Isaac you're still right, thought that bearing the thought that the tide would rise above the house, that the house could still weather the storm. Um, and this is because he didn't know about the wall of wreckage slowly making its way towards where he now stood because it was so dark he couldn't see it um and it was so loud at this point that you couldn't hear it either because the wind was probably ripping Mm -hmm. so isaac was still confident with the house's strength but joseph his brother began strongly warning the others that the house would collapse he began urging the others that when the moment came their only hope was to get on top of the house and grab onto whatever floating debris they could Uh, panic began to rise in everybody in his house then the wall hit sure yeah so the house began sliding from its foundation joseph grabbed the hands of two of isaac's children Allie may and rosemary and lunged out the back windows breaking through the glass the three of them managed to cling to an outside wall he tried to call those in the house still through the window but the house was now silent Joseph watched as the house sank between the waves breaking apart. So it was over in a matter of seconds. Um, Isaac was pushed backward into the chimney of the house and was pushed down under the water. He was caught by some debris, which pinned him down under the water. He knew it was the end for him, but all at once his head broke the surface. He was pinned between two floating timbers outside of the house and he was alone. yeah he began grabbing for anything he could anything soft anything that could be a body he was desperate for any sign of his family he floated along in the desolate landscape dark water dark sky pierced by jagged pieces of floating debris only illuminated by the lightning yeah so if it's above a cat three get the hell out that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) y'all You don't want to yeah. do this. Don't want to do this. Okay. I would say above a cat too. Yeah. I mean, me too. Unless, okay. I, I'm kind of weird though. If it's coming at us, like if it's going to hit us, then yeah, we're getting out. But if it's going to hit like Houston and it's a cat too, it's like, yeah, we might be able to stay. 
Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because outer bands. Mm -hmm. So anyway, then he saw a child. He swam towards her as hard Mm -hmm. as he could and found as he grabbed her that it was his six-year-old daughter, Esther. She grabbed Mm -hmm. onto him, crying as they continued to float. Then he saw three more figures lit up as uh, by the lightning. It was Joseph and his two older daughters. Joseph shouted, saying later, my heart suddenly leaped with uncontrollable joy in two figures that clung to the drift about a hundred feet to the leeward. I discovered my brother and his youngest child. So yes. So they're all, well, not everybody, but several members of his family are still alive. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like Googling his name and like the great storm of 1900 to see if there's like more photos of him and his family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot of photos, but there are some. Um, the five of them now clung to the wreckage, crawling from one piece to another as each piece eventually sunk under their weight. They managed to climb on top of a larger piece of wreckage, which was part of a house. Eventually, Joseph dog, Joseph's dog joined them. It was a retriever. The dog looked over the five of them, sniffing them as if marking off a checklist. But one member of the family, Isaac's wife, wasn't there. The brave, the brave dog jumped into the sea, presumably to look for Isaac's missing wife. And the dog was never seen again. Oh, puppy. He was just trying to be a good boy. We don't deserve dogs. We don't deserve dogs. Two other people joined them at some point, a man and a woman. Joseph later described his encounter with the man Um, saying the man crawled up to where I sat, pulled the two children away, their children, Isaac's children, and tried to shelter himself behind my body. I pushed him indignantly away and drew the children back. He repeated the unspeakable performance. This time I drew a knife I carried and threatened him with it. So people were desperate to the point where they were like, me kick your children off <laughs> oh my god yeah. well that doesn't surprise me i mean mm-hmm. like when irma hit the keys i heard so many stories about people like riding and looting like, yeah not, well not riding obviously but like looting yeah um because like they were so desperate they were like going over to people's property and like trying to steal stuff and yeah like yeah so good stuff um So for hours, they drifted out to sea aboard the house. So like back out to the Gulf of Mexico. And then the wind shifted, bringing them Mm. back into the city, which I'm like, that'd be so scary. Just like, (laughs) although you wouldn't know where you were, I guess, if it was so dark. Um, But they actually did get. Yeah, no, you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, So the raft finally ran aground near Avenue P, about four blocks from where their house once stood. There was a house with a light on in the window and the five of them climbed inside the empty residence. So real quick, take a break. Look at slide two again. Um, There's a historical Mm -hmm. map of Galveston at the time. And there's a basically all of the square blocks. And then there's kind of a line. And this line delineates what part of the town was completely destroyed versus partially destroyed. So everything um, 
from the Gulf of Mexico to that line was literally just absolutely destroyed. So which line are we talking about? Because there's a couple. The um, one that's like Denver Reserve, whatever that says, resurvey, and then or like the squiggly one around like 13, 22, 23. The squiggly one. Okay, gotcha. That That is wow. where the wreckage wall started at the beach and then made it all the way there and then eventually stopped with the storm surge. Oh, wow. So all of those filled in dark squares is mm-hmm. the notation for destroyed. Yes. Got it. Yes. And it's kind of hard to read and figure out, but I think I'm, that is what I've gathered from this picture. And I absolutely believe it because there are no historical houses older than uh, 1901 past that point. Yeah. Okay. So here, okay. So I zoomed in so far to read. It says, yeah. So like all the squares that have cross hatches are total destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the squares that have vertical lines are partial destruction. Mm-hmm. And then diagonal lines are present water encroachment. Yes. So that's, yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So the, destroyed. Destroyed. So that squiggly line is. Yeah, so that squiggly line, everything underneath that squiggly line is total destruction, but then everything in the squiggly line is partial destruction. Yeah, and that's where most of the historic houses and the historic districts sit today. Anything older than 1900 is within the partial destruction. So it's a lot. It's a lot of the city. (laughs) So significant. I like old maps like this. I know, they're cool. Like I said, we will put it on our uh, resources page um, on our website so you too can see how bad this was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to the fam. Throughout the night, the outside world had no contact with the coastal city. By September 9th, the first reporters were able to hop on a passenger train and cross the bay. The weather was calm, the seas were glassy, but a sense of uneasiness settled over the train as they began to see the debris from the storm, bits and pieces of houses, wagons, even children's toys. That's always a bad sign. Um, yeah. yeah. At some point, the train was unable to go any further as water covered the tracks, so the reporters and passengers were forced to roll up their pants and walk into the city. That's when they first mm. saw the first bodies floating in the water (gasps) stripped naked after being battered around by the waves all night. There were also animals, horses, cows, dogs, chickens, all bloated, swollen, rotting in the subtropical sun. The air was quickly becoming putrid Mm. with the smell of the dead throughout the city. Isaac and his remaining family had survived the night in the house. Their wreckage had come to rest at. The city before him had been scraped off the map. Using a few buildings that were still standing, he managed to estimate where his house once stood on Avenue Q and saw that nothing was left of the old neighborhood. Not one house remained. Ugh. So if you look back at our pictures on slide three. Yeah, debris wall looking down toward Moody Mansion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Moody Mansion, I've actually been to. It's still standing today, mostly probably because it was made out of stone and not wood. Um, it's one of the um, like most richest families or whatever in Galveston. 
Um, and then you look back at slide three, there's another picture of the aftermath. It's literally just pieces of wood everywhere. There's no buildings. It's just all gone. It's, oh yeah. and then if you look at four, there's actually a comparison of a specific block of 1900 versus like modern day Galveston. That one I really think yeah, is interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. really cool and indicative of the, just the amount of destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So devastating, Holy. absolutely devastating. So the dead lay everywhere buried under the debris or continuing to float in the flooded streets. The city began the massive task of sorting through and burying the dead. Wagons moved out of the city, limp limbs hanging out from beneath the canvases. The dead lay in rows in a warehouse that was still standing, filling up the entire floor, waiting for their loved ones to come and claim them. Bruises, cuts, and broken bones distorted the discolored bodies, making them even harder to identify. Isaac began searching for his wife, trading information with others, hunting for their families. Bodies continued to be pulled from the wreckage for days afterwards, and people combed neighborhoods for their loved ones. Some actually got lucky and found surviving members of their family um, that were spread out across the city during the storm, Um, but a majority were looking for the dead at this point. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. A barge was commissioned to carry the dead back to the mainland where they could be buried. Uh, The police rounded up 50 black men at gunpoint and forced them to load the bodies Mm -hmm. on board. Um, Because even in a national tragedy, we can't let racism lie. Yay. (laughs) I mean, it was the South in 1900, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, So throughout the afternoon, the barge quickly filled up with 700 corpses and the smell was almost unbearable. At dawn, instead of burying the bodies, they began attaching weights and anchors and just letting them sink out at sea. Some bodies did. Others, however, just washed back into the city. So didn't really do much. Um, The city quickly realized that among all of the dead, the health and sanitation of the city was at risk. The only course of action was to burn the bodies at the spot or on the spot. (gasps) Get out of here. Stop it. No, that's gross. Mm -hmm. That's not cool. So bonfires began cropping up all around the city, burning men and women and children by the hundreds The fires began spreading, burning more of the city's remaining buildings. So that's good. Um, To all the citizens of Galveston, it looked like the end of the world, but they were soon becoming numb to it all. (sighs) Slowly but surely, help began arriving in the form of army soldiers bringing food, fresh water, and medical supplies. Money volunteered by everybody from the from William Randolph Hearst um, to the colored Eureka brass band of Thibodeau, Louisiana. So everybody from the rich to the, you know, poor minority folks. And I say colored instead of black, because that is what they called themselves at the time. That is the name of their band. So I'm going to say it that way, but even they offered money up to Galveston. So this storm marked the first time widespread donations were given in the wake of a natural disaster. 
And this is something that Americans have been doing every storm since. This was the first one. So it kind of um, revolutionized how we deal with storms and um, storm preparedness and, you know, natural disaster emergency um, help um, from Mm -hmm. here on out in this country. So Isaac went back to work on the 17th. He had managed to find someone to look after his surviving children, but had not managed to find his wife. She had disappeared with so many of the dead, possibly at the bottom of the ocean or swept out to sea. As Isaac began to put together the first report of the hurricane for the Weather Bureau, he began to realize that he felt partially responsible for being unable to forecast the storm accurately. But at the same time, the Weather Bureau had not recognized the storm for what it was, even though they had significant warning from Cuban forecasters. It was this combination Mm -hmm. of arrogance and lack of knowledge that destroyed Galveston. In the end, he wrote... Storm warnings were timely and received wide distribution, not only in Galveston, but throughout the coast region. He left out the fact that the weather service and his storm warnings had not mentioned a hurricane. So he felt very responsible. But at the same time, I'm like, he was only doing, he was only doing what he could with what he had. Yeah. I mean, and that, that, excuse me, at that time too, like there wasn't a lot they could have done with the technology so right there's also that isaac simply wrote about his wife whose body he hadn't found among the lost was my wife who never rose above the water after the wreck of that building bodies continued to be harvested from the wreckage at a rate of a hundred a day even through september 30th so the storm happened on the 8th through the 9th they were still finding bodies on the 30th on this day men had found the remains of a woman underneath the wall of a house wearing a wedding ring and an engagement ring. Evidence shows that this was likely that Isaac was present at the time. and He recognized the ring belonging to his wife, Cora, and her body wasn't burned. It was buried instead. He said, even in death, she had traveled with us and near us throughout the storm. Isaac kept the ring, enlarged it, and wore it for the rest of his life. So let's get into kind of the modern take on this storm. So NOAA estimated that the storm of 1900 was a Cat 4 hurricane with winds of 130 to 140 miles per hour. Storm surge that rose above the island with 15.7 feet of water. The highest point in the city was only 8.7 feet above sea level. Following the storm, approximately 8,000 people died. 8,000 in a single day or night, I guess. Yeah, 3,600 buildings were destroyed and the damage estimates exceeded uh, 200 million or 700 million in today's money. Although what you found some, it was upwards into the billions. The storm remains the deadliest national natural history in the nation's history. Wait, what am I saying? The storm. (laughs) You'll get there. I'm letting you get there. It's fine. The storm remains the deadliest natural disaster in the nation's history. (laughs) There you go. Did it. Um, 
Galveston has since been rebuilt and it is now a charming seaside community with a lovely historical district filled with really good restaurants to feed the many tourists and cruise passengers that come through the port. But the city now has something very important, a seawall. I've seen the seawall myself. It's a decent size, maybe six feet above the beach. But in the face of some of the hurricanes we've had in the past decades, like specifically the category four and five hurricanes, Galveston has a high chance of being wiped off the map still to this day. Um, Very few buildings left in the city predate the storm of 1900. Like I said, the ones that do bear a placard more or less saying, actually, they do actually say I survived the storm of 1900. Um, I was actually lucky enough to stay in one of these buildings. Um, It was a sweet little Airbnb that had been refinished to fit modern sensibilities, but its original charm and bones were there, like very much still there. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, the house was on Avenue Q and a half. Yes, I know it's dumb. I don't know why they have half streets in Galveston, but they do. Um, but it's just one street further back from where Isaac Clown's, Klein's house stood. Um, that little Airbnb is super lucky to still exist. So in 2020, AKA the year of the apocalypse, (laughs) the Gulf coast had its Mm. busiest hurricane season ever. (laughs) It was so busy. We (laughs) ran out of alphabetical names and had to switch, switch to the Greek alphabet. I had the pleasure of weathering tropical storm alpha, which literally went right over my house, um, which is right on Matagorda Bay. We experienced some minor flooding in the house as puddles of muddy water from the rain seeped in through the cracks in our walls, but we experienced no storm surge as we are a good 15 to 20 feet off the water. Chances are the house would have survived the storm of 1900 with minor damage, but it was built obviously much later. Um, But one hurricane in 2020 showed a remarkably similar path to the great storm of 1900, and this was Hurricane Laura. Um... My husband and I watched and worried over the storm for a week as its landfall shifted from Matagorda Bay, where we are, to Houston and Galveston over the days. Um, even in the days of modern hurricane forecasting, there's still a like, large range of variability and unpredictability in where these storms can strike. Um, we are a little bit more informed, however. Mm-hmm. In the week leading up to the storm, the intensity was also increasing from a measly Category 1 to a Category 4. We stayed up all night, so sure that we were going to see some intense rain or wind at least, but Laura ended up not hitting Galveston, but making landfall about two hours east along the Louisiana-Texas border. This storm, like the Great Storm of 1900, was a Category 4, exhibited extremely high winds and intense damage to the inland city of Lake Charles, but the storm surge that we had been expecting didn't happen. The fact that Laura hit and a relatively underpopulated area likely decreased the coverage from the media and the damage from the storm. But it hit, had it hit a city like Galveston or Houston, it could have put millions of people out of homes, out of power, and maybe killed a decent amount of people. So if you see on the last slide, um, the one on the left is NOAA's estimate of what the hurricane of 1900, what that track was. And then um, the one on the right shows um, Hurricane Laura in 2020, and they pretty much took just about the same path 
which is really interesting because yeah. this is kind of the year I was like diving into this research. And so when I saw this, when we were expecting to be hit, I was like, oh God, oh God, not again. <laughs> mm. So you know, like it's coming again. <laughs> 120 so, years later. Yes. I just Same think that thing. was really interesting. Um, but Laura changed course and Galveston was saved for now. Um, with climate change, these high category storms are only going to increase in frequency. And if the 2020 hurricane season tells us anything about the future, it's only a matter of time before Galveston gets another great storm. And that, yeah, I mean, is it, that's that. (laughs) Yep. I mean, people are, you know, projecting that the keys aren't going to be around for much longer. Yep. So, so go all it takes is one good storm. They're gone. We are uh, gambling here with some of our infrastructure in this country. Big, big gambling. If Katrina Mm -hmm. shows you anything, I mean, that was billions of dollars spent rebuilding that city. I mean, one of these days, I think it'd be interesting to do like survival stories from Katrina because that was such a scary time in modern history. Like when you look back in 1900, it was like, of course, that they didn't, you know, have any of this stuff. They didn't evacuate. Yeah. People didn't evacuate from New Orleans either in 2005 and they had all the information. So, well, and people didn't evacuate for Irma in 2016. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2016 is when Irma hit. Um, 2017, my bad. Yeah. Um, they didn't evacuate for Irma in 2017. And yeah, like that was not good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, people, some people did, some people stayed, but um, yeah, it was not good. Yeah. And there's still some stuff that has not recovered in the keys from Irma. And also the locals who were around for Irma are still very um, sensitive to that subject and hurricane season in general. Yeah. I mean, you gotta be, it's, it's, I mean, still can produce a devastating amount of death, hopefully never on this scale again, because that's just impressive. Let's be honest. I mean, 8,000 people in one day. That's mm-hmm. that's insane. The highest, I think, of the COVID days, and this might have changed now, I don't know, was like 2,600 <laughs> or like 3,000. <laughs> so this event mm-hmm. beats by quite a lot. Um, so when I went there last, um, we took my mom and um, she kind of loves this kind of history, not necessarily like the dark side of history, but there's a lot of stories from this hurricane of just normal people trying to survive this like massive cataclysmic event. And so I kind of turned around to the whole story. Um, and we actually went on a ghost tour um, because this city is That's haunted, fun. haunted as fuck a lot to do with this, but also because of like the civil war and a couple other things that have happened. Sure. Um, so we actually went to this building where um, the original building had been completely washed away during the storm. It was an orphanage um, run by the Catholic church. And the, uh, the only reason we know about this is because the nuns uh, basically tied ropes around them and all of the children, right. To, you know, basically keep mm-hmm. them all together. The, the, uh, building got swept into the sea and all of those nuns and little children died except for two they uh broke off from the group 
like their rope broke and they were able to like make it to safety. And so they told everybody what happened. So now that building is, you know, haunted by the souls of the children or whatever. But, and it was like, it was like hundred children. It wasn't like, you know, a couple, (laughs) it was like a whole orphanage full of kids and nuns. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my God. Yeah. And it's, it's very pervasive there and there's a lot of buildings that have those little signs and it's just it's it's fascinating to go it it definitely changed the way I felt about that city and I feel like you have to know yeah I'm sure yeah and it changed that city's role like it was supposed to become Houston and then that happened and then we were like "Mm, let's not do that again Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's go build Houston but Houston's not in a great location either because, you know, Harvey flooded the whole damn city. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just those coastal areas. You can't you can't build major cities on the coast. It doesn't. Eventually, a storm is going to get them. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing, actually, about Harvey that I found out um, when I was at uh, an AFS conference um, in Galveston, actually, uh, one of the students uh, doing like his master's or PhD, I can't remember which, at a uh, Texas A&M was doing research on spotted sea trout spawning. And so he was using like okay. hydrophones to detect like mating sounds of the fish in the water. And he was working up mm-hmm. in Aransas Bay, which is near Rockport, which is where Harvey actually made landfall. And uh, so he had his hydrophones in the water during Harvey because he was only able to go out and get a few of them and was just forced to abandon the rest. And he actually got recordings back from the ones that he left out during the storm. And for a lot of it, you can't hear anything because the waves and the wind is like way too loud. But when the eye actually passed over Aransas mm-hmm. Bay, you could hear the fish still fucking. They were still... <laughs> fucking through that whole (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny that is the most nature doesn't stop like that's so cool so nature is a lot more resilient than we are and if everyone's like oh the world's dying the world's dying i'm like it's gonna go on without us it's more if we want to be here or not you know if we want to have quality of life that is really cool it's super interesting too yeah so uh, we've kind of gone on for, I've gone on for a long, I did a lot of research for this y'all. Um, so hope you enjoy. <laughs> no, I thought it was a good one. I thought it was a good story. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, hurricanes are just something else. I don't want to deal with them. <laughs> at and, all. and yet, and yet, where do we live? <laughs> well, I would rather deal with hurricanes than like tornadoes and earthquakes. Ooh, so. Girl. I do not like tornadoes. I still have nightmares about tornadoes. I used to live in Kansas when I was. I have never been in a tornado, and I never want to be in a tornado. And every time that something tornado esque starts happening, I just freak out. It's it's legitimately like like, terrifying because you don't know where they're going to hit. You have no idea, and they'll just like form in like fifteen minutes, and you're like, "Well, it's just chaotic energy all the time." Yeah, and like if you get caught in one, you're dead. You're just dead. Like that's. Oh, do not yes. like it. Do not like it. Um, Say the first few months of living in the Keys, I like was driving home from work and there was a water spout. Yes. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. 
do? <laughs> I was like, do I stop? Do I go past it fast enough that it's not going to get me? Like, I don't, what do I do? Like, that one, unless it's like right next to you, like just fucking go past it. That's my advice as from being Kansan for three years, just either get in a basement, get in a ditch or just drive, just drive, just fucking drive. Um, yeah. <laughs> Actually, there was a tornado um in Virginia that happened literally the day of my rehearsal dinner before my wedding. And it was like a mile away from our venue. So (laughs) I have a long history of dealing with tornadoes, even though I haven't lived in Kansas for a long time. Um, I was really concerned about that. Um, All right. Let me do my sources real quick. Okay. So my biggest source of this whole story is Isaac's Storm, which is a book by Eric Larson, which is the same uh, guy who did the um, the book uh, Devil in the White City, which is about the serial killer H.H. H. Holmes and the Chicago World's Fair. He's a really good like historical writer. Um, so he wrote this book also, Isaac's Storm, about Isaac Klein and all of this stuff that happened. Um, I also used... Mm-hmm. Uh, Wikipedia for just some base facts about tropical cyclones, storm surge. Um, I also went and looked at the National Hurricane Center for the Sapphire Simpson hurricane wind scale. Um, and then I looked at an article from NOAA about the Great Galveston Hurricane of 1900 for some of the numbers, the depth of the storm surge, wind speed, all that stuff. Um, and that was by mm-hmm. uh, Ron Trumbla. So that those are my uh, sources. If you're more interested in this, go read Isaac Storm. There's a lot of other side stories that I didn't get into just because of time. Um, so there's a lot of other like really fucked up things that happened that are also really mm-hmm. fascinating. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. Okay. So after we talked about the biggest uh body count <laughs> we've ever had um on this podcast <laughs> let's talk about some happy things <laughs> yes 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 what are you happy about this week next week whatever um i guess i'm happy about uh cory got to see his best friend he hasn't seen him uh since well, probably christmas of 2019 um so that was really good watching them like bond and you know, rekindle their friendship. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess I'm also happy about uh, we finally found a realtor that's actually helping us find rental houses. Um, that's being really resourceful and responsive. Um, we're trying to move out of our current situation because our landlords want to sell the house in spring, but the rental market is so bad around here that we got to jump mm-hmm. on it now or else we're not going to get anything. Um, and so that was kind of a big relief for me because I was getting really stressed out about the whole situation. So we yeah, applied, we applied sure. for a house. Um, we don't know if, cause there's other applicants, so we don't know if we're going to get it or not. Um, but she also has like a couple more places that seem suitable lined up, um, in the months to come. So I'm, I'm feeling okay. Feeling better. <laughs> good. Yeah. Good, so. good, good. That's good news. A little bit of relief. How about you? Definitely. I would say so. The housing market's insane in the first place anyway. I, it's really bad right now. No, I'm good. I, uh, I'm just stoked to be home and uh, 
just happy to be here. Good old family catch up time. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, that is good. It's always nice. Uh, Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen my cousin in like, I don't know, since like December, 2019, I want to say. Yep. Because that was the last time we were all gathered as a family. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's good. All right. Well, simple, easy. Um, since this was really, really long, uh, <laughs> and uh, you probably want to get back to said family, um, where can our listeners find us? You guys can find us on social media at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, M N W K Y Podcast, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> then on the interwebs at mother nature will kill you podcast.com and you can listen to us on that website spotify podcasts or apple podcasts or google podcasts or any other podcasting platform yes and we also have all of our notes and resources up on our actual uh website which you can also listen to us on And if you want to support the podcast, um, please leave a five-star review on any of those listening platforms to kind of help us um, move up in the algorithm because the more people giving five-star reviews, the more out there into the collective ether we will get. And hopefully people who are interested Mm -hmm. in this kind of topic will listen. Um, That's the goal. All right. So so we're wrapping this dad boy up continuing on with hurricane mm-hmm. stories next time with Haley and yes. uh yes. <laughs> we're just gonna keep yep. throwing it at Not you guys <laughs> got that one in my pocket yep and then and then we're gonna get into spooky season and we're gonna do some creepy mysteries which I'm really excited about um but uh so until then stay safe but most of all Stay curious, explorers. Goodbye. (laughs) All right. I need to eat lunch. I need to end this before we lose (laughs) internet again.